Schuster saying good night and go blue. You are listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. The sports department would like to thank you for your continued support of University of Michigan Student Radio. Moss knocked over Campbellini, winds up and he scores! Just Campbellini lets a laser go from the near side circle, and the Wolverines take a 1 0 lead off the rocket, off the stick of Jeff Campbellini. Now, you can do it. The Daily Sports Report. You can do it all night long. On 88.3 WCBN FM, Ann Arbor. This is Jim Carroll, and you're listening to WCBN FM, Ann Arbor. Music as uncensored as it could get these days. Indeed. Well, our smiling engineer, Alex, has let us know that it's time for another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer, a very tired Jim Dwyer. (laughs) We were talking before the show, Jim uh, had to return to the rigors of high school English, (laughs) teaching those... Youngsters on, I don't, do they teach diagramming still? <laughs> Nobody really teaches diagramming sentences. Uh, uh, it's just not a very efficient or practical way to teach grammar. I think maybe at some CIA rendering uh, centers, uh, diagramming is going on, but well, I wish of that. somebody would put a dunce cap on President Bush and put him in the corner and make him diagram the Koran. <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't diagram his way out of a wet paper bag, and I think that'll be on display once again and for all to see Wednesday, right? Oh, good grief. When he'll address the nation and... Bush is going from brain damage awards to criminally insane at this point. But <laughs> I uh, love the headline on today's Ann Arbor News. Bush tries to ease worries. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I don't think the American wow. people should... Uh, feel any ease with mr bush's new concept here it's quite clear that uh so much for the policy of we'll stand down as they stand up so much for george bush listening to his commanders uh apparently he's replacing the commanders that don't adhere to his uh neoconservative worldview and uh, it's very troubling when uh i guess he had a conference last week talked uh, to some Senators, uh, including uh, rock star Barack Obama, and he was asked a question by, uh, I think it was Blanche Lincoln, uh, where are we going to get the troops? And Bush's indeed quote was, that's a very good question. <laughs> um, this policy is, uh, well, who knows? Uh, you know, John McCain is saying that the uh, surge needs to be sustained and substantial. That uh, sounds like a Viagra ad or something. Yeah. 
well, Serge has got all sorts of sexual. <laughs> it certainly does. It's a, it's virtually a registered trademark. I mean, isn't there already a beverage called Serge? I think there is. Yeah, and of course, Some Mountain Dew uh, thing. The uh, alternative policy is withdrawal. <laughs> right. <laughs> Serge or withdraw. A bit of the old in out in yeah, out. No as, time. Uh, for Another old, Alex might say. No time for the old in and out. Love just came to read the meter. <laughs> and, of course, those electric meters in uh, Baghdad aren't working very well, which is uh, part of the problem. I would say in all of this uh, <clears throat> pinochle duck uh, deck reshuffling that Bush has undergone yet again, probably the only good news is that uh, David uh, Petraeus, uh, who sounds like one of the few competent... Uh, military minds over there in Iraq is actually being elevated, but uh, you have to wonder why an admiral is being put in charge of CENTCOM when we essentially have two land wars uh, in Afghanistan and Iraq. And I, over the holidays, I was reading this uh, nice little thin volume out of Iraq, a practical plan for withdrawal now. Uh, by George McGovern and William Polk. Uh, uh, excerpts from that had appeared in a previous Harper's magazine. Yeah, and, and this is a really good book. And in fact, the Harper's uh, article was outstanding because I think it highlighted some of the meat rather than the potatoes of <laughs> of uh, this uh, proposal. And the facts are just uh, staggering. Um, for instance, um, costs. Uh, you know, Bush is uh, apparently going to talk about sacrifice. Yeah, right. Um, just a quote uh, from Paul Krugman in today's New York Times. I think he's got it exactly on the nose. Uh, he says, according to the BBC, the theme of his speech will be sacrifice. But sacrifice for what? Not for the national interest would be best served by withdrawing before the strain of the war breaks our ground forces. No, Iraq has become a quagmire of the vanities, a place where America is spending blood and treasure to protect the egos of the men who won't admit that they were wrong. And I think that uh, newly announced presidential candidate Joe Biden actually says it pretty well. Um, at least he's realistic and honest when he says, look, uh, we're, Bush is just postponing this uh, for the next president. Because unfortunately, at $10 million a day, $8 billion a month, uh, we're going to be in Iraq uh, until uh, at least January 21st of 2009. At $10 million a day at the current rate. Yeah. With and a surge and with uh, a new uh, request for additional ground troops in Afghanistan, that $10 million a day won't stand six yeah. months from now. Where are the troops coming from? Uh, well, Bush uh, doesn't know, but... He's still listening to the uh, likes of Frederick Kagan and Bill Crystal. Just have to give him another brain damage award. It's obvious at this point that Bush is uh, in a quagmire. It's called the Lyndon Johnson Richard Nixon mm. quagmire. He doesn't want to be uh, perceived as the loser of a war. Uh, well, of you know, his own making. And, and that's funny because uh, of all the press that came out in the wake of uh, Gerald Ford's death, uh, one of the questions was, well, gee, you know, you were the guy who people blamed, you know, uh, the loss in Vietnam. And I really don't remember that. People no. saying that, oh, Jerry Ford lost Vietnam. Did people say that? Not I don't really. remember that. 
But it's interesting, in Frank Rich's uh, column yesterday, I thought he hit the nail on the head talking about the interesting comparison <laughs> uh, between Saigon of 75 to Baghdad of 07. And he quotes a speech that Ford gave at Tulane University where he said, and this was shortly after uh, the, the uh, helicopters evacuated Saigon, he said, quote, America can regain the sense of pride that existed before Vietnam, but not by, quote, refighting a war that is finished as far as America is concerned. He added, we, of course, are saddened indeed by the events of Indochina, but these events, tragic as they are, pretend neither the end of the world nor of American leadership in the world. And it would be refreshing if uh, George Bush would uh, maybe utter those words uh, declare victory if needed, but uh, certainly proceed to withdraw from Iraq. Um, it's just uh, uh, at this point an incoherent policy uh, that is looking for, you know, you can't put makeup on the sow and call her mama <laughs> or darling in the case of Bush. Yeah. Well, uh, there, there is no policy at all, basically. The policy has shifted. The policy's changed. Many policies have turned out to be, in fact, duplicitous and not really policies at all. Um, it's just incoherence. Yeah, and I think that it, 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 as, you know, maybe uh, enlightened as David Petraeus is, for instance, it's interesting that he actually earned a Ph.D. in international relations from the Princeton uh, University's Woodrow Wilson School. You know, he was... Yes, he was involved in the, uh, what, what is it, the 101 uh, Command, whatever that m might be. I think that's a, a, a sort of a Air Force Marine kind of, uh, uh, yeah, the 101st Airborne Diversion, uh, Division. He was in Mosul, you know, up, uh, up in the oh, north. Right. And that was, that is not the same as the problems that the American military is having uh, in uh, the Anbar province or mm. in, in this notion that we can hold and clear uh, Baghdad. Um, obviously, um, as well, long as the U.S. Embassy has 15 f uh, feet thick walls, they can clear. Yeah, together forward, uh, the euphemism for what we're doing. I, I think that this monument down in, I don't know if you saw this, about the the fragile earth that oh, collapsed. Yeah, I got a clipping on that, too. That is just... I think symbolic of uh, the policy in Iraq. Yeah, in case anyone's paying attention, hey, here's a great metaphor for what's being done. A million-dollar stone sculpture intended to remind future generations of Earth's fragility made its point a bit early, just three months after its unveiling it collapsed and uh, shattered into many small pieces. Yeah. Now, they are looking at vandalism as a possible cause there, so who knows, but... Uh, I think America should get away from this idea that uh, withdrawing from Iraq would be a defeat. And, uh, and we just need to admit that it was a mistake and uh, move on. But uh, that apparently is not in the cards. And, of course, it's just unfortunate that uh, the Democrats are probably going to pander to this uh, idea yeah. that they can't cut off the funding because they don't want to be accused of not supporting the troops. Um, I think that uh, we do need to have some 
William Fulbright-style hearings in the Senate Foreign Relations Committee and in the House Armed Services Committee, and maybe we can uh, get some answers. But uh, sacrifice? I doubt it. And as for the notion that Bush has given America some big tax cut, let's remember that the Iraq War, I think there was a Harvard study just last week that uh, veterans uh, costs right now to the 25,000 wounded um, and the 10,000 seriously wounded that will require medical attention as well as fiscal um, financial um, support for the rest of their lives will cost another $370 billion. Just to give you an idea of how much the war has cost already, uh, these figures are staggering and they show the rapid um, escalation of these costs. And so surging costs. <laughs> surging costs is what we're really looking at here. Uh, $77.3 billion in fiscal year 2004, $87.3 billion in fiscal year 2005, and $101 billion wow. in fiscal year 2006. And according to McGovern and Polk, even if troop withdrawals began this year, costs including Afghanistan and Iraq are likely to rise by $371 billion during just the withdrawal period. And these are based on Congressional Research Service numbers, numbers that Mr. Bush uh, has been ignoring. So the Iraq war, uh, very conservatively in this book, uh, of course, talks about the total costs uh, between $1 trillion and $2 trillion actually represent a tax increase that uh, President Bush has bestowed as part of his unfortunate legacy. And of course, the legacy uh, it becomes even worse. We have a headlined uh, article about the United States is now selecting hybrid designs for new nuclear warheads. Right. Unbelievable. So I don't know what to say, but obviously Bush's... Uh, speech on Wednesday will uh, not bring holiday cheer to the American people. Well, I mean, they've got the right slogan. It's just the right time of year to introduce new market. Uh, you don't do it in August, of course, as we learned at the beginning of the war. You do it in the uh, winter and spring. And so surge, good term, new way forward. I like that. Yeah. Because it, it, it doesn't say a different direction because that would imply that the previous direction were wrong. Hey, look, guys. A new way forward. Wow. This is something that everybody can be cheerful and optimistic about. Um, I give a brain damage award to Tony Blair for his uh, a little late in the day condemnation of the Saddam execution. Uh, this is in today's Financial Times. Uh, just yesterday, Tony Blair joined the wave of condemnation. Oh, if there's a bandwagon, Tony Blair is not far behind it. Um he denounced the manner in which it was conducted as completely wrong. Um, the footage, of course, showed uh, Saddam Hussein being taunted uh, before uh, the floor dropped from beneath him. And Tony Blair says it shouldn't have happened that way. And yet, I wonder if Saddam had been hung by the, the men and women of Abu Ghraib, would he have been taunted? I think probably he would have been. Yeah, I think and so. I agree. That's totally wrong. I mean, that's that's not dignified. But uh, again, the other bizarre fallout of the Saddam execution is that today uh, in court, all remaining charges against him were dropped. 
Now, of course, that's meaningless because he's not alive and can't be punished for them. Well, he can join Ken Lay in rejoicing. <laughs> in the great beyond, right. So here's a guy who should have stood trial for the extent of his crimes. Sure. You know, and made a public record of all of this stuff. And now, oh, well, case is dropped. There's no more Saddam. So... Uh, that's just completely uh, wrong. Well, and the taunting, of course, uh, you know, the, the, the chant about Moktada is, is what's really troubling about right. this. Um, and, of course, another very important breaking news from Britain. The Tower of London, one oh. of Britain's most popular tourist attractions, has appointed a female guard for the first time in its 900-year history. She will join the ranks of the yeoman warders who wear the red and gold ceremonial uniform and are known as the beef eaters. <laughs> uh, it goes on to note that um, <clears throat> the yeoman warriors were officially appointed to guard the tower in 1485 and trace their origins back even further to William the Conqueror's reign in the 11th century. Oh, well, yeah, it was the Norman uh, influence that built the Tower of London to uh, imprison... Uh those who didn't agree. And uh, one theory is that the first guards were paid in beef <laughs> to join the 35 strong ranks of the beef eaters. A candidate must have served 22 years in the armed services. This according to Bloomberg News. And I guess have a liking for beef. <laughs> yes. It's what's for dinner. As well as gin, no doubt. Yeah. Well, here's another little bizarre item. You get a lot of these bizarre items at the beginning of the year, it yeah. seems like, uh, as holiday madness unwinds and, you know, recoils. Uh, this also from uh, the Financial Times. <clears throat> Plans to export a version of the Louvre, France's most famous museum, to a resort in the oil-rich city of Abu Dhabi have sparked accusations <gasps> that Paris, the Paris government is sacrificing cultural standards for profit. How could they do that? <laughs> They've never done that before, have they? Well, according to the article, the plan, backed by the Ministry of Culture, is part of a drive by the United Arab Emirates to create a luxury tourist destination. The contract to bring the Louvre to the Gulf is reported by French newspapers to total more than $650 million. However, the project to create a Louvre in the Sands has triggered opposition from experts in France who fear it will distort the museum's true function as a center of scholarship and home to some of Western art's greatest treasures. Come on, man. Museums are tourists. That's It's a tourism thing. And if you want to go to Paris in the Middle East, well, you can't go to Beirut anymore. That was at one time known as the Paris of the Middle East before the Civil War and the 82 Israeli invasion and then this last summer. So I guess you could go to Paris in Abu Dhabi for your luxury getaway. Yeah. Kind of bizarre. And, of course, this bizarre item from here in Michigan about the man who uh, awoke in a garbage truck after he fell asleep in a dumpster in Oak Park looking for bottles. It says that the man uh, who is unemployed but not homeless was scavenging for bottles when he awoke when the container uh, was unloaded. L luckily for him, he had a cell phone. <laughs> So when I when I read this item, I thought of the uh, Steve McQueen, uh, Ali McGraw uh, getaway movie when they get they're hiding from the, oh, the yeah. cops and they end up in, in the in the dumpster, the, right. in the in the trash compactor, and they're doing all these uh, 
gymnastics to prevent from getting crushed crushed uh, with all of the litter um well i suppose there's a lesson to be learned there if you're ever in a dumpster rummaging around looking for whatever and you feel sleepy get out of the dumpster <laughs> don't take a nap on those not there a uh, garbage uh, collections <laughs> i'm sleepy <laughs> i think i'll take a nap here and it says the police lost contact with the man when his cell phone battery became dislodged <laughs> they checked several trucks including one in a parking lot an officer went and pounded on the side of the truck and somebody pounded back and the police officer, uh, Lieutenant Pusak, said uh, the man appeared to be unhurt. Quote, if I was him, I'd go to church and play the lottery <laughs> because today was his lucky day. Yeah. I didn't know the church was peddling lottery tickets these days. <laughs> I didn't know that either, but uh, apparently the officer has a hot tip there. <laughs> Wow. Uh, well, I guess this next one uh, could have fit in earlier with the uh, news from uh, about Iraq and the troops and the surging and whatnot. But uh, it, this is too bizarre and really fits with the bizarre items. Uh, headlined, Army Regrets Urging Dead Back to Duty. This is funny on one level, but uh, staggeringly insulting on another. And here's the article, a very short one. The Army on Saturday blamed a computer mix-up for recruitment letters mistakenly sent out over the holidays to the families of 275 officers killed or wounded in Iraq. Every Army leader is just sick that this happened, said General Richard Cody, Army's Vice Chief of Staff. This is an inexcusable mistake. Five years into this war, the Army can do better than this. And we will. Senior Army leaders were frustrated and disappointed by their blunder, Cody said. The Army used the wrong database when it generated a mass mailing of letters between Christmas and New Year's Day to more than 5,100 Army officers who had recently left the service. That's a good time to try and convince people to re-enlist over the holidays when they're with their families. Included were letters to 75 officers killed in action, more than one-third of all Army officers who have died in Iraq since the war began, and 200 more wounded in action. The letters encourage the officers to consider returning to active duty. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe here's where the troops will come from. We can ghosts reanimate the dead and have a zombie army. So support the zombie troops and uh, everything will be okay. Uh, not really funny at all. Uh, deeply disturbing. Deeply disturbing and indicative of further government incompetence and of course the uh <clears throat> preliminary data i mean just uh the, this week the iraq uh, the iraqi government announced uh according to the ap that at least 12,000 civilians were killed last year uh this by the way is in conflict with the united nations that says its organization had reported 26,782 deaths in the first 10 months of 2006 it's interesting to note the number of Iraqi security forces killed jumped to 1,539, nearly double the American death count of 823 uh, for the year of 2006. Um, very troubling. And these are the official Iraqi Health, Defense, and Interior Ministry statistics, but uh, clearly um, undercounts. 
Uh, those are scary numbers. Uh, this is scary, too, and I'm not quite sure what to make of this. Um, this from the Progressive Magazine's uh, latest issue. Newt Gingrich denies he is campaigning for the country's highest office. Quote, I am not running for president, Gingrich told Fortune magazine. I am seeking to create a movement to win the future by offering a series of solutions so compelling that if the American people say I have to be president, it will happen. Oh. <laughs> what? What kind of delusional banter is that? Well, as we've noted before, Donald Rumsfeld foisted uh, Newt Gingrich into the uh, so-called Defense Policy uh, Advisory Board that was at one time headed by Richard Pearl, uh, who's no doubt rejoicing about Bush's new uh, surge plan. So I'm not too sure where Newt's compelling future ideas are going to come from. Uh, he's uh, unfortunately been a... Uh, I don't know, an architect of malfeasance in the past. I always called the contract uh, with America the contract on America because it was largely uh, filled with uh, meaningless uh, policy uh, proposals that uh, garnered headlines rather than actually d dealt with substantive problems of government. It was more that, you know, faux populism of get the government off the backs of the people and let the people do their thing when really it was just, you know, corporate uh, handovers uh, every step of the way. Sure, and, and one of the worst uh, elements of that uh, contract on America were, were, were the, were the, was the concept of term limits. Uh, we've seen now, of course, here in the state of Michigan, the uh, continuing problem with... Uh, <laughs> legislators who, you know, sort of take a year or two to learn how to do their job, then they're confronted with the fact that they've only got four years left and they have to leave office. And we've had many um, good government experts point out that term limits at the state level has actually created a lot of problems with the uh, issue of knowledge. And well, you get people who have to reinvent the wheel every four years. And, yeah. uh, you know, any profession, any serious... Uh, professional capacity is going to take about a year to learn the, you know, the ropes. And what a troubling day when I woke up today. I was up late last night watching movies after watching the Ohio University Bobcats take a pounding in the GMAC Bowl um, to hear the first two stories of the day about a big stench in New York City. Um, Bloomberg says now that the gas will pass. That's <laughs> got to be a new phrase uh, for the ages. Um, there's apparently some sort of natural gas leak somewhere in New York, Manhattan, and they can't find it, and apparently there were big evacuations. And then this massive bird death in Austin. And it occurred to me that maybe huh. they're connected. <laughs> maybe the birds caught wind of the bush surge uh, policy there in relatively nearby Crawford and croaked and then the stench drifted all the way to Manhattan. Nobody light a match. <laughs> a very strange but uh, almost indicative of this strange global warming weather that we've been having. Uh, I mean, 72 degrees in Manhattan just a couple of days ago. Yeah, I mean, it's a little... Cherry blossoms apparently right. blooming in various places. It's a little colder now, but yeah. uh, 
and looks like we'll be looking at normal Michigan winter here for a while, but it's still above normal, almost 10 to 15 degrees per day for the last, I don't know, six weeks. It's remarkable. Well, you're listening to Gray Matters here on WCBN. We've got about five minutes left in the program. And uh, I don't have a whole lot of more clippings with me. Ah, okay. <laughs> uh, one of those exhausting weeks. So many essays to read, so many essays to write. Are these and, essays uh, uh, about what we did over the holidays kind of no, thing? No, God, no. That's that's boring. Uh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> this is literary analysis, so you're basically training kids to write a college-style lit paper. Ah. And uh, medieval literature is fun to write about, so Sir Gawain and the Green Knight is a fabulous poem that actually is taught at just about every level of uh, higher learning these days, and it's filled with all sorts of great artistic ambiguity that make it fun and easy to write about, so... Papers are uh, actually pretty decent. Of course, uh, it, it is worth mentioning that uh, last uh, Tuesday, once we haven't uh, mentioned this, uh, Steve Eiserman's number was retired, and uh, that's a pretty big deal. Yeah. I don't know if they talked about it on the sports program tonight. It seemed like a primarily football-centered conversation, but... Uh, you know, all the numbers that hang in the uh, rafters of uh, Joe Lewis are big names from the 40s, 50s, 60s. Mm -hmm. You know, Sid Abel, Gordy Howe, Alex Delvecchio, uh, Terry Sawchuck. Who am I missing there? Oh, well. And, Gordy. Uh, yeah, go, and Gordy, right. And uh, so it's been a long time since uh, somebody has been so honored. And uh, Well, I think that Steve Eiserman is the epitome of the face of the Red Wings organization over these uh, many years uh, when it's really been sort of the New York Yankees of, of the NHL. As a cab driver, I point out to uh, visiting uh, cab fares that uh, Detroit is probably the only American city where hockey may be the number one sport in terms of the fan mm -hmm. appreciation. And Steve Eiserman has just been such a credit to uh, the concept of determination and sportsmanship. I mean, we're not talking here about a dirty player, uh, a fighter, <laughs> uh, you know, the stereotypical hockey player. He's been very involved in community um, activities like uh, Darren McCarty and that, that, that sort of style. Right. But uh, he's just uh, emblematic, I think, of the class of the uh, Detroit Red Wings organization. And while I have some doubts about how far they're really going to go this year uh, in the playoffs. It's a pretty young team this year, yeah. a lot of uh, newer players. There's so. some rebuilding going on, right. but uh, they're going to make the playoffs. And uh, win or lose, uh, they will be a credit uh, to the city of Detroit regardless. Uh, that I can confidently say because I think that the, you know, Nicholas Lindstrom, who's mm -hmm. now taken over the captain uh, position for the Red Wings, is uh, very similar, I think, in that Iserman style of leadership. It's sort of quiet uh, grace. It's not a lot of showboating. There's no Terrell Owens uh, nonsense right. going on with uh, anything to do with Steve Iserman or Nicholas Lindstrom. So, yeah, I think that's a, a great uh, event. I was actually working that night and was amazed when I turned the Wings game on about an hour and a half before it started yeah. that it had just started. Right. I was like, man, this has turned into a Democratic convention with well, and <laughs> speeches that must uh, have put some to sleep. 
you know, some listeners might be wondering why we're making such a big deal out of it, but uh, this is how big of a deal it really was. It was broadcast nationwide in Canada, that mm-hmm. ceremony. Um, the only time they've ever broadcast that sort of a number, uh, this, you know, Jersey retiring uh, ceremony was when Gretzky retired. Sure. Gretzky's practically like the Pope of Canada. He is. So, uh, yeah, Alex is uh, waving his hand.